Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome, Faith. Hey, good to see everybody today. Thanks for coming out this morning. Uh, We are starting a series, as you see, uh, called Forgotten Voices. And it's about the minor prophets. I'm looking forward to this series. I've never preached an entire series on the minor prophets. We're not taking all of them, just six of those. But, uh, and they're called minor in, by in part because the books are shorter. They're very short books. And yet prophets nonetheless to the nation of Israel, some to the nation of Judah in the south. And you get their letters and they're, they're absolutely amazing. There's so much we can learn from them. But they were forgotten because they were often overlooked in their generation. They were larger prophets with larger platforms like Like Micah was a prophet at the same time Isaiah was. And so we all know Isaiah. We know his his words, but we don't know as much about Micah. Uh, Zephaniah was a prophet when the nation of Israel was coming back from captivity back into Jerusalem, back into Israel and Jerusalem. And and that that whole generation was pretty much lost in the writings and readings of the uh, nation of Israel. And so we kind of lost that. And so And not only are they forgotten in that day, but I think they're forgotten by many of us today. How many of you have read Zephaniah recently? A couple hands went up. You know, we we just don't, we just don't, I I want an inspiration day. Let's go to Zephaniah. Let's go to Haggai. Let's go to, let's go to Zechariah. And we, we don't read that very often unless you're reading the Bible through in a year. And I would encourage everybody to do a yearly reading plan. That way you get all the words of God at some point during the year. But, but often overlooked today, not a lot of sermons on these. I went back and looked. I've preached a couple on the one I'm preaching today. A few on Hosea. I think I've hit Habakkuk before. But some of the other prophets I haven't even preached on yet. So I'm excited about it. I'm ready, and I hope you guys are too. Now, the first forgotten prophet we're going to look at is probably the most memorable. It's the one that everybody knows about. It's a guy by the name of Jonah. Have you ever heard of Jonah? Let me see your hand. Ah, we all know Jonah and Jonah and the whale. And if you've been uh, in Sunday school or growing up in church in any way, you've heard this story at some point before. Now, before I get into the into the book, how many fishermen or women do we have in the house? You love to fish. Let me see your hands. Ah, Quite a few of you. Okay. I'm going to tell you I am not. I'm the worst. And and I've been out many times. I enjoy getting out. I enjoy being with someone else who likes to fish just because I like the fellowship. But I, I just picture that when I'm out fishing, all the fish are in a huddle underneath the boat laughing about the guy on top. And uh, just say, we're not going to bite his. We'll bite the other one. We'll bite all the rest in the boat. But I'm not biting his hook. Or if they do, I miss him. You know, you got to have just the right touch. And I don't have that light touch. And so either I wait too long and the, the shrimp is gone or whatever, the worm's gone or whatever it is they've, they've eaten the whole thing. I got a hook right there. They never get the hook. They get all the food. And I, and, and I spend all day baiting that thing all the time. Or I, I pull it too quick and jerk it out of their mouth. And so I just can't get that right balance and I miss a lot of fish. But I do have one shining moment. 
When I was a kid, we used to go, my family would go up to uh, Michigan, and we'd go to a little lake called Lake Asable. And we would go up there, and then my, my, my aunt and uncle had a ha- cabin on the lake, and we could stay there for a week. And so uh, one morning, I got up with my little brother, and I said, let's take the rowboat out. And we got out and rowed across the lake, and we were going to go fishing. And we had our rod and reel, and I, caught, I laid into a fish. And I fought that fish, and I finally got it on the boat, and it was this big. <laughs> it, it was absolutely, uh, uh, no, maybe not, but uh, it, it, was, uh, it was 21 inches, and so that's a pretty good-sized fish, and uh, 21 inches, it was a northern pike, and I, I brought that fish home, and I showed everybody, and, and we were all pretty amazed that I caught that fish, and so, uh, but, but the fish, the stories, the fish stories that you guys can tell are always about the one that got away, Right? Because there's no evidence there. There's no pictures. There's no fish. It's just we come home with these massive stories about, oh, you should see the one I almost caught. It bent my all the way down like this. It broke my string. I mean, it was, it was, it was huge. And it's the biggest fish in the lake. And I just missed it. We have what we call fish stories. I want to tell you this morning, we're going to talk about a fish story, but it is a true fish story. It is not fictional. It is not made up. It is not an allegory. It is not a parable. It is not a lesson on life. There is actually a man, a prophet, who lived at the time of about the 8th century BC, who was a prophet to the city of Nineveh. And his name is Jonah. And so very, very real story. One reason we know it's not an allegory or parable is Jesus Christ in Matthew 12 will later talk about Jonah. And he talks about this Jonah was in the belly of the whale for fish for three days and three nights. So will the son of man be in the grave for three days and three nights. And so he refers to Jonah. He refers to the city of Nineveh. He refers to the fish and he refers to all that. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. So if you doubt the story of Jonah, you have got to doubt the veracity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is always truth. There is no lie within him whatsoever. And so he recognizes this as an historical event. And we are going to approach the scripture in the very same way that Jesus Christ talked about it, okay? So let's take our Bibles out. Turn to Jonah chapter 1, and we'll stand together and read the word of God together. Now... Let me just kind of lay out some ground rules for this series. Uh, There is no way that we can even begin to cover the entire, any one of these minor prophets in one Sunday morning. So we're going to kind of glean the main lessons from it and, and look at some of the key verses and the key scriptures. But I would encourage you, go home and read this on your own and study it on your own. Maybe I'll say some things that'll spark your interest and you'll want to go back and look at it again and you'll say, Holy Spirit, what can I learn from this? What did we learn Sunday morning? And read it over again. They're short and so it won't take long. Next week, I'm preaching on Hosea, an incredible minor prophet. For, for all you guys who, who love love stories, don't want to miss next Sunday. It is one of the phenomenal love stories of all time. A man by the name of Hosea, a prophet by the name of Hosea, who's told to marry. Uh, you just got to come next week to hear it. <laughs> I'm not going to give it away now. And it's an incredible love story. We'll also be taking communion at the end of next Sunday morning. So invite someone and come back. But let's pick it up with Jonah right now. It's verse number one. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran from the Lord and the head of Tarshish, And he went down 
to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your word this morning. And I pray that you will open our hearts, that we'll hear what you have for us, that you'll deal with the Jonah inside of us that, that we are deal with and struggle with all the time. I pray we'll learn the lessons that you have for us today. Help me as I preach your word. I, I need your help always. And so we love you and we thank you for this message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Jonah is a man on the run. He's running from God. It says he ran from the Lord. It didn't say he ran from Nineveh. He ran from the Lord. He's leaving the presence or running away from the Lord, running away from God. Uh, how many times in our own life do we think we have a better way? Somehow we think we know more than God, that, 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 uh, that I've got it together and my way is going to be the best way and we just kind of do things willy-nilly our own way and, uh, and we go our own direction and we somehow think we know better than God. For example, God speaks to our heart and he says, I want you to forgive that person. Tells us in his word, speaks to our spirit, hey, you got to let that go, you got to forgive that person and we say, but God... You don't know how long I've nursed this wound. You don't know how, how long I've held this against them. You don't know what they did to me. And so we have all our reasons why we want to go in an opposite direction of what God tells us to do. But God. How, how, how many times does God say, I want you to give. I want you to give to this person. I want you to give. Uh, I just want you to be a giver. I want you to give. And you say, but God, I can't afford to. And so we live out of a scarcity mentality and we worry about what I don't have instead of what God's blessings are and how much God has blessed us with and given us. And so we say, but I can't. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks to us at the offering time or a mission convention or whatever, we say, you know what, but I can't afford to. I'd really like to. And then, and then you know what, God will say, but I, he calls us to serve in a ministry. I want you to get involved. I want you to open your home. I want you to have a group. I want you to get involved in the prison ministry and the, and, and the, uh, uh, the nursing home. And I want you to go out and preach. I want you to start a group. I want you to re talk to your neighbor about me. And I want you to witness for me. And, and, and we, we begin to make excuses. And we say, but God, I don't have time. And if I just had the time, you know, I'd really get involved, but I'm so busy with all my stuff and I really don't have the time. And we have been accustomed to running. In fact, there can be a little Jonah, I believe, inside of every single one of us. And I think this is why the message this morning is so important. That's why it applies. You say, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going fishing, and I'm not going to be on the sea, and I'm not going to meet any whales out there. And you say, this really, you're starting to check me out already because we know the story. I think we're really deal, dealing with this little Jonah inside of every single one of us and how we respond to him. Now, Jonah, let's go back to the story. He's called to go to Nineveh, Nineveh, and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, we know it's a very large city. It took Jonah three days to go through the city, and so it's a massive city, and uh, it's also the capital of the Assyrian Empire, so it's a very powerful city. This is the largest military force and military might in Jonah's day was the Assyrians. And, uh, but it wasn't great necessarily because of its size or its power, but it was great in wickedness. It was a very, very wicked city. It says, the Bible says, God says, his wickedness has risen up to me. It is a very great wicked city these guys are nasty 
I mean, they are bad, bad people. They would conquer other cities, conquer other nations or other armies. And what they would do, some of the, they, were, they were masters at torturing those they conquered. And so they would take a victim and they would literally skin that male or female alive, pull all the skin off of their bodies, and then they would take and put them on a pole for all to see that the Assyrians were here. Or they would go into cities and they would rape all the women in the city and then they would kill their children in front of the ladies and then they would kill the ladies after they killed their children. And so this is another sign the Assyrians were here. Or here's one they did too. They, they were known to bury their captors in the ground so that only the head was showing up. And eventually the bugs and all that would come and eat you up. And they would take the tongue out and drive a spike through the tongue into the ground. And so torture was most painful and it would be a very, very slow death. Then after they died, they would take those and cut off their heads. They would pile them up in a pyramid shape on the outside of those cities. And every time you went by a city and saw heads piled up, you knew the Assyrians were here. And so these are some of the most cruelest, wicked people on the face of the earth. And Jonah says, I don't want to go there. I'm going on a Tarshish. I have a vacation and I want to get there and I'm leaving right now, possibly because he doesn't want to have his head chopped off. But I don't think that's it. You know, there might have been a little fear there. There might have been a little intrepidation there. But I think it's because he hated the people of Nineveh so much. I don't want them to get saved. I want God to judge them. I want they to, them to get what they've got coming to them. And so I don't want to go then because I know you're a merciful God. I know you're a compassionate God. I know you're a good God. And you might just forgive those guys and they deserve to be killed and destroyed. I, th- I think one of the major problems we have when we talk about missions today is we got to be real honest. There are just, we have this nationalistic view of America that only God loves Americans and we got to be careful that that people in our minds that we don't like we transfer that onto them and so for example if you fought in the Vietnam War you may not like Vietnamese and you may not be so crazy about the Vietnamese because they you saw them shoot your friend or your buddy in the war and, and some of us may have trouble with Islamic countries because after all, a few of them took and they, they took a couple planes and ran them into the World Trade Center and 3,000 people were killed. And so we don't have a real heart to reach Muslim people. And yet God says, I love Muslims and I love Vietnamese and I love Chinese and I love Japanese and I love the Indians and I love everybody out there and I'm telling you to go. And and we pick and choose, and when we do that, it cuts out the heart of missions. God says, I want you to take my message. And so Jonah obeys. He goes to get in a boat, only he goes the opposite way and totally disobeys God. Goes to Tarshish. A lot of scholars believe that Tarshish was an ancient name for Spain. And so he's heading to Spain, which is about as far as Assyria, from Assyria as you can get, about 2,000 miles away. In other words, by the time you got to Tarshish, if you had to make the journey uh, back to Nineveh, it would take one year to get there. So he's going to put one year's distance between himself and the will of God, right? And he goes in the opposite direction. When God calls you to do something, you can always find a ship heading in another direction. I'll say it one more time so it kind of sinks in. This is a good statement here. When God calls you to do something, you can always find a ship heading in a different direction. 
There's usually a second option available. You can always run from the will of God. Someone may suddenly come up from your past and you want to launch onto them and, and go that direction or follow that boat or that ship. Maybe for you single people, a guy or girl comes along and they may or may not know Jesus Christ, but it's a ship going in a different direction and you've been shipless for all this time and you want to jump on that ship and go with them outside the will of God. Maybe it's a bad habit that comes up and raises its ugly head again and you've been walking walking with Jesus and things are going great, but that temptation is there to pornography. That temptation is there to alcoholism. That temptation is there to drug addiction and, and, and that ship passes by. And if you're not careful, you jump on that ship outside the will of God and you get heading in the wrong direction. There's always a boat passing by. Maybe it's just fear or uncertainty of what God has for you and he calls you to do something. He says, I want you to talk to this person. I want you to go here. I want you to get involved here. But fear shuts you down. And that fear keeps you going in the wrong direction. You run away from the call of God instead of to the will of God. There's, a, there's kind of a New Testament parallel to the story of Jonah. It's the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son ran away from home. And the Bible says he ran into a far country. And so he was just getting as far away from home as he could. Uh, we, we know the story of the prodigal son. We know his lifestyle. And we kind of focus on that and his recovery and how he came back to God. But sometimes what we fail to see is why he left in the first place. He did not want to be under the will of his father. He did not want to be under the will of his father anymore. He wanted to do his own thing and go his own way. And God has a will and God has a calling on our life. And the question is, are we going to answer that call and do what God is telling us to do? Or are we going to get on the boat going in the other direction? And what happened is there is a connection between doing the will of God and experiencing the anointing and presence of God on your life. Yes, I know you can't flee from the presence of God. Yes, I know he knows wherever you're at, whenever you're at. But you lose a connection with God when you get outside of the will of God. That fellowship is broken off. Something is wrong with the relationship because you've allowed sin and disobedience to come into your heart. And therefore, you cannot clearly hear the voice of God as you ought to. Because God, God, he's not going to hear when you are choosing to do your own thing and go your own way and live your own life outside of God's will and plan for your life. And so that connection is broken between you and God. And so the Bible says in, in the first three verse, verse three, it says Jonah ran away. It didn't say from Nineveh. It says he ran away from the Lord. How do you run away from God. He lost that connection with the Lord when he got on the boat going in the opposite direction. And there's something about when you take yourself out of the will of Almighty God, you also leave his protective covering and blessing that he has for his children. But he can't bless you if you are living in disobedience and rebellion to God. Got that? Going the wrong way, leaving, forfeiting his blessing and protection in his life. And maybe you're on a ship this morning and you know your ship's heading in the wrong direction. Listen to me. I've got good news for you. Here's the second point. You can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> How many ever heard that one before? You can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> Verses four and five, look at it. It says, and the Lord sent a great wind Everybody say, Lord sent. A great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose, and the ship threatened to break up. 
All the sailors were afraid. They each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now, one of the themes of the book of Jonah, and there are several themes that kind of run throughout the book, but one of the central themes of the book of Jonah is God's divine intervention in human history. God still deals with us today. God's intervention. Four times, he says, either God sent or God provided, depending on your translation. It starts out, God sends the wind, and then God sends a whale, and then God sends a vine, and then God sends a worm, okay? And so, four times, he very specifically, in these four chapters, says, and God provided, God sent, God, and so you see God's dealings with man. And then it'll say, and God spoke. And so many times it refers to God speaking. So God spoke to Jonah in chapter three. God spoke the second time. He speaks to him again in chapter four. And you see God intervening in human affairs today. In other words, God just didn't create the heavens and the earth, put the world on his finger and start that ball spinning and say, here it goes. And now he's sitting up in heaven somewhere, reading the paper, waiting for us to get there. God still deals with us. He speaks to us. He leads us. He guides us. He talks to us. He does miracles today. He intervenes in the affairs of man. God sent. God sent. Now, Jonah loads his boat and gets on it and uh, out of the will of God and going to Tarshish. And everything seemed lovely. The, 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 clouds, the skies are clear. Seas calm. He's just going to cruise on out. I want to warn you, don't mistake circumstances for the will of God. Amen. It may seem calm and nice and wonderful and everything's just kind of fitting together. Don't mistake that for the will of God. The real will of God came with adversity into Jonah's life. It says, and God sent the wind. Notice the devil didn't send the wind. God sent the wind, Jonah chapter one. Now it's not always the case. The devil can also send the wind because remember the case of Jesus Christ on the Sea of Galilee? A violent storm arose. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes the wind and the waves. He's not gonna rebuke himself. That was an attack from Satan to try to take Jesus Christ out. And Satan is, uh, is alive, not well, but he is alive. And he's trying to take us out. And he's trying to take Jesus Christ out to keep him from going to the cross. So the enemy can send the wind, but also Jesus Christ can allow the wind to come in our life to get our attention. And so God sends the wind very clear you cannot go by circumstances to determine the will of God God will send adversity to take us out of our comfortability to re redirect your course God will take adversity to take us out of our comfortability to redirect our course it's the same thing he says in Hebrews chapter 12 when every child that God loves he also chastens that in the end it might produce a peaceable fruit of godliness and righteousness so God allows these trials and tests to come our way. Now, he, here's the deal. God, God is always trying to speak to us. 
He's a God who wants to communicate his will to us, his way to us, and he's always wanted to speak to his people, and so he does it through numerous ways. He'll do it through his word, and we can open up the word of God, and this word of God, and we we just pray, Holy Spirit, breathe life through this, and he talks to us about how to live and how not to live through his word. He'll do it through other people, and sometimes God will send somebody with a word or just somebody who sees a blind spot that you don't see, and you're helping each other grow, and God will deal with you through other people. God also speaks to you through that inner prompting of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful that the Holy Spirit will speak to our heart? He'll give you a peace or he'll say, no, no, no. There'll be a restlessness. And he, he begins to speak to us about what his will is and what he wants us to do and what he doesn't want us to do. But listen to me. If we ignore all of God's advances to try to speak to us, God can also send the wind. You ever seen that commercial where the guy's wondering, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And God is speaking, 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 and finally we don't hear him, and the wind comes. And now he has our attention. God sent the wind. It's hard to hear God speaking clearly and articulately if you're running in the wrong direction. But when you're close to the Lord, when you're by his side, when you have his ear, then you can hear him speak very clearly. There's an interesting reaction here. Jump down to verse 8. This is kind of funny too. It says, so they ask him, tell us who's responsible, these are the sailors, for making all the trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? Now, Jonah is what? A prophet. He's not doing a good job because a prophet is supposed to be the mouthpiece for God supposed to speak out on behalf of God and so far they don't have a clue who he is kind of a weak prophet and he answered he says I'm a Hebrew I worship the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the land this terrified them and they asked what have you done they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. In other words, when he finally reveals who he is after a certain period of time, after the storm comes and the waves are kicking up and the, the wind's blowing, he says, I'm, I worship the living God. I worship the Lord. If you really worship the Lord, why are you running? It didn't add up. It, it, didn't, it didn't, make, didn't compute. How can you say he's your Lord and you don't do what he says? Right? I wonder how many people that we work with would be surprised if they knew we were believers. And we hang out, we go to work every day, we move up and down the neighborhoods every day, we go in and out of our classrooms and our colleges and our schools and we're on the military base and we're working every day, a Volvo, Bosch, wherever it may be, Boeing, and you're working there day after day and then all of a sudden something comes up and they realize that you go to faith church. Really? I'm shocked. I had no idea. You talk just like us. You act just like us. You walk just like us. And you call yourself a Christian? And so we come into church and we sing and we look good, but we're kind of incognito, undercover agents for Jesus. You really got to dig hard. And then when they find out, what? You're one of them? I had no idea. I just just wonder. Just, Just think about that for a moment. Do your life and your profession match up? Do they go together? The people you hang with know about God's call in your life. Would they be surprised that you're on the run, you're hiding your faith, and now you've been 
found out. So in verse number 12, God sends a fish, and I won't read it all to you for time's sake. So he's swallowed by this great fish, whale, whatever you want to call it, for three days. And can you imagine being in this, in this fish, and this, the acid is in there, and the seaweed and the kelp's all in there, and all these fish are flopping around, and you're trying to find air pockets to breathe, and it's kind of just, a, he's, he's in there. And so some of you guys are freaking out right now because uh, you're claustrophobic, and you think, ah. I must be disgusted. All the acids start eating away at his body, and it's just really, really disgusting. And, uh, and then we get to Jonah 2, and I don't have time to read it. Please read this. This is an incredible prayer from a belly of a whale. But he, he repents. He cries out to God. He recognizes that God, Lord of heaven and earth, and yes, God, I'll do what you want me to do. And he, he just delivers this masterful prayer in chapter 2, and, and God allows that whale to get sick, probably on Jonah, and he spits him up on the shore. And so you have that story there. So that leads me then to my third point, and it's simply this. You can run, number one. You can't hide. But number two, you can be changed. God's going to change Jonah radically, and he is eventually going to use Jonah to change the entire city of Nineveh. I want you to go now to chapter 3 and verse number 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Aren't you glad God is a God of second chances? Aren't you glad there's a second time? And it's the, it's the same word he heard in chapter one. He gets it again in chapter three. The first time he ignored it and disobeyed because he just hadn't been spit up by a whale. But the second time he hears God clearly, I can hear you now. And he obeys. But God is so gracious. He keeps coming and talking to us and dealing with us. And he does it again. He says, go preach to that city of Nineveh. Now, uh, God is a God of second chances. He goes to Nineveh and he preaches a sermon. We only have five words in the Hebrew. In the English, it's eight words, but there may have been a long sermon that went along with it. This is all that's recorded. But he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, the word overthrown in the Hebrew can have one of two meanings. It can mean to be destroyed or it can mean to be changed. All right? So, so they could turn to God and they could always be changed. And if anyone will turn to God at any time, any place, any way, you will be transformed. Old things are passed away. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. You can be changed. Have a marvelous life full of the glory and presence of God. Or you can be destroyed depending on what choice you make. The Assyrians believe in God. You have this, uh, they, they fast in verses 5 to 10. He calls for a fast for 40 days. Uh, the animals don't eat. Nobody eats. They put on sackcloth. They cry. They repent. They weep. And they turn back to God. And God is not going to destroy that city. That judgment is not going to come upon them because of their repentance and turning back to God. So through the messenger Jonah and through the grace of Almighty God, an entire city is saved. What a revival. Isn't that amazing? 
God can save anybody. I mean, they just impaled somebody on a stick two days ago, and now they're serving God and following God and calling him the one true God. They just peeled some lady's skin off. They just ripped ten, raped 10 women, and now they are changed by God. And God can change anybody. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, how long you've been lost, what you're messing around in. God can change and transform you. Now, listen to me. I would love to just stop this message right now and say go home and we'd all be happy. Yes, yes, we're, we're on. We will love this. But, but God still has work to do on Jonah. And so chapter four changes. And you go to chapter four and you start with verse number one. And Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Couldn't you imagine? A whole city is saved and Jonah has a pity party. Let me read on. This is, this is amazing. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, this is not what I said when I was still at home. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I, I was so quick to flee for Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious. Listen to this description of God. Gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. He nails it. He's right on with the character of who God is. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, Take my life. It is better for me to die than to live. Now, now Jonah wants to be killed so bad. He told the sailors, throw me over and kill me right here. And now he says, God, you just take my life and wipe me out. So somehow he's got this complex about wanting to be killed or dead or whatever. And so he is not happy. He has this major pouting going on. And he goes and he, he's going to camp on the east side of the city, the word of God says, kind of on a hillside overlooking the city. He gets his lawn chair out and he's going to sit there and watch. And he's hoping that, that somehow Nineveh will return back to their old gods, return back to their sins, and maybe, just maybe, God will destroy them. So he sits there with his arms folded, patting his foot, saying, God, kill him, kill him, destroy him. I'm tired. Just mess, just, just take him out. Because these are bad guys. These are really, really bad guys. And the Bible says God sent or provided a vine. There's that, or a gourd, some translations will say. And it grows over top of this canopy, over his head. And so now he's sitting in shade. And so he is covered over by the vine. He's sitting back, relaxing. He's enjoying the view of the city. And, and, and he gets very, very attached to that vine. Now, then, the next day, it says, and then God provides a worm. And worms destroy and eat vines. And the worm ate all the vine, and his shade was gone, and now he is unhappy. So he's happy when he gets shade, and he's unhappy when the worm comes along, also sent by God. Notice God sent the wind, God sent the whale, God sent the worm. He sends the worm, and it eats the vine up. And now he's really mad at God, and he basically says, God, the only thing I really cared about, now you have taken away. Now, I want you to jump down to verse number four. And the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? I saved Nineveh because I am a God who saves. You said I was loving, compassionate, long-suffering, gracious, full of grace. I saved Nineveh because that's what I do. Do you have any right to second-guess God? Do you have any right to complain or grumble or gripe? I do what I do because that's who I am. 
I save them because I love people. Now listen to me. Here's the message I want you to get. The vine represents anything you become attached to. Whatever becomes the source of your pleasure, whatever you become attached to, whatever you draw affectionate about, it could be a relationship, it could be financial security, it could be your possessions, it could even be your dog, Fido. Now here's the deal. Jonah is in Nineveh. He's away from Israel. He's away from the people of God. He's away from his family. He is a lonely man. He doesn't like the Ninevites because they're mean. And he's now out of fellowship with God. Because even though God redirected his path, there's still a heart problem that God has to deal with inside of Jonah. And he attaches to a vine. And he is mad at God. The only thing I cared about, you took away. And God comes back and he basically says this, Jonah, listen to me, your vine is nothing. Your car is nothing. Your house is nothing. Your TV is nothing. Your cat princess is nothing. But a human soul is eternal. A human soul goes on forever and ever and ever. And without me, they will die and go to hell. They are more important than anything else about your vine. And we become attached to our stuff and our vine and our things, and we couldn't give a rip about anybody else because I have my shade, I have my comfort, I have everything I need in this life. God says, I love Ninevites. Look at verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. God sent the vine, God took it away. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and as many cattle as well, should I not be concerned about that great city? 120,000 don't know their right hand from their left hand. I thought about what that could mean. Well, listen, children don't know their right hand from their left hand. I'm probably about the fourth grade, fifth grade. I was a slow learner, but by the time I started learning to write cursive, I knew I did it with this hand. And so I began to learn that's my right hand. And that's how, you know, when you figure out when you're a kid, okay, what's my, they say, turn right here. Okay, okay. Oh, that's, that must be this way because this is the hand I write with. And so, so, so it probably represents all the small children and all the babies and all the infants. Now listen to me. If there's 120,000 children and infants inside the city of Nineveh, there's probably over a million people that live in that city. And he says, you know what? I care about Ninevites. I care about those one million people who need to know me, who need to have a relationship with the one true living God of the heavens and the earth. So I ask us today, do we care more about our vine than the one million babies who will be aborted this year? Because ladies say, I don't want to have a baby. And they'll go in and kill that child inside the womb who doesn't know the right hand from the left hand. And God says, I care about those unborn children. There's a life inside of you that I gave my life for. And yet we've grown silent given up the fight, have quit speaking out for those who can't speak out for themselves. We had our missions convention last week 
Do we care more about our car than we do the 6,521 people groups who have never had an adequate witness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Over one billion people on the face of the earth have never, ever, ever heard the name Jesus. Do we care more about my air conditioning going in or out than I do about my next door neighbor who doesn't know Jesus Christ, than I do about those I walk the hallways with every single day, those I work with every single day. Do I care more about that than I do the children and youth of Faith Church and, and all these other things that are going on around us? Do I, do I care about them? The call to missions is not based on love. It is based on obedience. Because we, we wrestle with this. How can I love people I don't know? And you really can't. But we, we love because God loves. And we obey because God said go. And God said go into all the world and preach the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make disciples of all nations. God wants you to take the message of the Savior. And you say, but I don't love them. God says, I ask you to go. Because I love them. And I want to save them. The book of Jonah I just read it. That's the last verse. It just ends. We're done. Over. Finished. You, you, you would hope that by this little vine thing shriveling up over his head that Jonah finally is starting to get the message through his thick prophetic skull. You'd think he finally gets it. And you would hope that maybe he would go back into the city of Nineveh and begin to teach them and preach some more and talk about the one true God. And maybe he would begin to show the love of God and he would reach out to those people in a caring and loving and compassionate way. We hope he did that. We don't know. The, the book just stops. It just stops. And we have no nice little wrap-up and bow tied around this story at the end. But there's a powerful word for us this morning. How are we going to wrap up the story of our life? Maybe you're running from God. Maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and you're going in a different direction. You're running far from him and you know God's been speaking to you and you know you're on the wrong kind of boat, the wrong kind of ship, and you're doing the wrong kind of stuff and you're going in the wrong direction. And this morning, I've got good news for you. God will speak to you again the second time. And he's spoken to you this morning through the power of the Holy Ghost. And he's speaking to your heart right now. And all you got to do is say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Save me. I give my life to you. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of making a mess of things. And I know you have the power to save me and to change me to make me a new creature. And maybe you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you love him, but you're running from some call that God has on your life. And you know God's been dealing with you about opening up a home group or going on a missions trip or, 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 or serving somewhere in the church. And, and we've, we just every time we kind of hear that call, we get afraid and we shut down and we start heading in the opposite direction. Listen, God has a call and a purpose for every single one of you to walk into as you follow and serve the Lord. And so, so let the Holy Spirit speak to your morning and and. Forget about your vine, forget about your gourd, forget about whatever's giving you that shade and stop running. And it's time to obey that call that God has on your life. And then you'll be a part of partnering with God to see lives changed and transformed. What a powerful, powerful little book. Minor prophet, Jonah. What's he going to do with the Jonah inside of us? Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. 
We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.